Well, I want to say good morning to all of you who are with us here, those at our Mill Creek campus, those watching online, those watching by uh, television. I want to say to all of you a very, very Merry Christmas. I want to thank you for being here today. One of the reasons why I love Christmas, like you know, so many people do, but it's probably for a different reason than uh, many other people. It's not because I like giving gifts, which I do, or because I love feasting and hanging out with my family, which I all get to do, or even because I'm a Christian. One of the reasons why Christmas is especially special to me, and I love it so much, is because of my vocation. It's because of what I do. I'm a pastor. And there's one time of the year you don't really have to make much of an effort to talk about Jesus or point people to Jesus because it's that one time of the year when, frankly, the world really does it for us. Even, even though they try not to, they can't help themselves. Because whether the world wants to admit it or not, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And as you think about that little baby that was born and laid in that manger, one thing you, we can all say about Jesus is no person who has ever lived on this planet has drawn more attention, more devotion, more adoration, more criticism, more opposition than he has. Theologians have talked about him. Philosophers have thought about him. Historians have studied him perhaps more than any other human being that's ever lived. And it never ceases to amaze me that we've expanded Christmas. That we start playing Christmas music Thanksgiving Day. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and an entire month is dedicated to celebrating the birthday. Here's the, here's the kicker. We celebrate the birthday of a son of a carpenter that was born in a one-horse town that didn't even have a stoplight, whose parents were a teenage girl and a young man that wasn't even his biological father. And even today, the birth of Jesus falls like an ax and it divides all of history into B.C. and A.D. And yet, how many people in a couple of days will unwrap Christmas gifts, but they never unwrap the gift of Christmas? And that's why I've so enjoyed this series that we've called Away, not a, not Away, but A Way in a Manger. And to kind of catch you up, we've talked about how that baby in that manger is God's direct lifeline into our world. We, we've talked about how the baby in that manger is God's escape hatch out of the sin that saturates our world. And now today we're going to talk about how that baby in that manger is an elevator up to eternity with God in the next world. Now, I want you to think about something. I'm, I'm going to say something that whether you've ever thought about it or not, it's not just true about our faith. It's not just true about Christianity. It is true about any religion, any spiritual belief anywhere in the world that talks about a heaven or talks about a hell. And here's the thing that's so interesting. Has it ever occurred to you that every religion and every spiritual belief that talks about heaven and hell always talks about heaven being up and hell being down. You find it all over the Bible. For example, the psalmist said in Psalm 14 two, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind. Jesus himself even said this. He said, no one has ascended into heaven except the one, he, who descended from heaven, the son of man. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was left, when he left this planet, when he ascended back into heaven, we're told he was taken up, not down, he was taken up into heaven. 
In the book of Revelation, when God invites John to come up and see what's going to take place in the future, he says to John, come up here, not down here, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And the reason why I bring that up is, is it occurred to me as I was working on this series, that really is what the Christmas story is all about, if you think about it. It's really all about a round trip that Jesus took from heaven to earth and then back up into heaven again. It's what it's all about. It's about a round trip. And in the second chapter of a letter that Paul wrote called Philippians, Paul talks about this round trip. He talks about how it happened and why it happened. And in the meantime, he says, oh, by the way, you were created to take a round trip too. Now, you didn't come from heaven. You did come to earth, but you can all take, we can all take the second half of that round trip and we can make our way up to heaven. So we're in the book called Philippians, Philippians chapter two. If you brought your little booklet, it's on page 44. And what you're going to see today is this. The way up is about sundown to sun up, not S-U-N, S-O-N. Christmas is all about sun up. To sundown to sun up. The Bible is all about sundown to sun up. Christianity is all about sundown to sum up. Sun up. When I talk about salvation, I'm talking all about sundown to sun up. So there are three things that Paul is going to tell us that we should do, we must do, and we will do if we're going to make our way up to God this way in a manger. Three things. Number one, he says we should conform to the spirit of Jesus. We should conform to the spirit of Jesus. Now here's what Paul does. Paul takes us all the way back to what happened before Bethlehem, before that star that was in the sky, before the angels sing, before the wise men brought gifts, before the shepherds came and observed that little baby. He says, no, let's go back before Jesus was even placed in that manger. Let's go back to before, before he was even conceived in the womb of his mother. So he takes us back to the, to, 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 the, to the backstage behind the curtains of eternity. And he says, listen, let me show you what Jesus did before he ever came to planet earth because it's an example that you need to follow. So he says this in Philippians 2. He says, in your relationships with one another. That's kind of interesting. He says, now I'm talking about what happened before Jesus came, but there's a lesson we need to learn. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, let me tell you what Paul is trying to get us to understand. For every one of us that's listening to me right now, and for this man talking to you right now, for every human being ever born, birth was their beginning, okay? So it's already been said to my chagrin and my opposition, today's my birthday, which I did not want to happen. I want you to know that. But the dirty secret is out, all right? So I had my beginning, my little earthly beginning, happen many, many years ago on this particular day. That's true for every human being. Every human, for, for every human being that was ever born, their birth was their beginning. Except for this baby. This baby had no beginning. Because before he was a baby in a manger, he was a king on a throne. And, and, and this word, by the way, when Paul talks about equality, it's a very interesting word. As a matter of fact, if you like math or geometry, you'll realize what this word is. It's the word isos. So if you may remember in school, we learned about an isosceles 
triangle. An isosceles triangle is a triangle with two equal sides. And what that word literally means is equal in every way. So what Paul is telling us is, Understand now that that little baby in that manger that had to be fed by his mother, that little baby that had to be changed, that little baby was equally God. He was eternally God. In every way, he was God, he, will, he is God, he will forevermore be God. But then he said this, but he didn't hold on to that. He didn't cling to that. He didn't say, I'm not gonna let that go. He said, instead, here's what he did. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This is why when people first met Jesus, especially the disciples, it was a puzzle to them. They, they couldn't figure it out. They, they couldn't get their mind around it because they, they believed he was the Messiah. They confessed he was the Messiah. Even Peter, you remember the famous, he said, I know you are. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. But even as, as, as Peter was saying it, he was saying, but wait a minute. You're supposed to be a king. You're supposed to be on a throne. You're supposed to take over. You're supposed to be putting the Roman Empire in its rightful place. You're supposed to set things right. They never, ever thought, they never dreamed ever in their wildest imagination he would come as an ordinary man. They were expecting him to be born into royalty. They were expecting him to be surrounded with servants, not become a servant. And, and for all of his ministry, there, there was this tug of war inside of them. I know you say you're the Messiah and it seems like you do things only a Messiah could do and you teach things only a Messiah would know, but you're just a guy. You're just a man. You're just like us. Yeah, you can do things we can't do, but at the end of the day, you're a human being and you have a mother. You have brothers. You have sisters. You've told us how you were born many times. You were laid in a manger and yet you're telling us that the eternal became the earthly that the heavenly became the human, that God the Son became the Son of Man. And Paul is telling us that's exactly what I want you to understand. Before he was born, this little baby was co-equal with God. Before he was born and after he was born, he was co-eternal with God. He was co-existent with God. So when he became one of us, he gave up all of that. He gave up every single part of that. I mean, he gave up everything. But while he was here, he did what we do. He looked to his father for guidance. He said, I want to do what you want me to do. He lived for his father in obedience, what we should do, obey the Lord. And he loved his father out of reverence. And what I want you to understand is the entire life of Jesus isn't a story about climbing a ladder. That's what we spend our lives doing, all of us. Why do we go to college? We're climbing an educational ladder. Why do we work hard? We're trying to climb an organizational ladder. Why do we want to make more money? We're trying to climb a financial ladder. The story of Jesus is totally different. It's not about climbing a ladder, up a ladder. It's about climbing down a ladder. Because think about this. Before he was laid in that manger, he was at the top of the organizational chart of the entire universe. He was the CEO, he was the CFO, he was the president, he was the creator, he was the Lord, he had it all. But he leaves eternity, goes from the top, comes down to the bottom. Matter of fact, we're told he went lower than an angel. 
So he comes as an ordinary human being, not born in a palace to a king and a queen, but laid in a manger as the peasant son of a couple that didn't even have two nickels they could rub together. And from the time that he was born until he died, he spends his entire life doing two things, obeying God and serving others. Spends his entire life obeying God and serving others. Here's what Paul says. Now, get all that in your mind, and then here Paul says this. Watch this. He says, now, you ought to have the same mindset. That ought to be the way that you relate to other people. It ought to be the way you relate to your family. It ought to be the way you relate to your husband or your wife. It ought to be the way you relate to your children or your parents. It ought to be the way you relate to the people that you work with. It ought to be the way you relate to your boss. It ought to be the way you relate to people who work for you. It ought to be the way you relate to your next door neighbor. It ought to be the way you relate to your friends. It ought to be the way you relate to your enemies. He said, you ought to have this same mindset. In other words, here's what he's saying. No, we're not God, but we can be gracious. No, we're not heavenly, but we can be humble. No, we're not sovereigns, but we can be servants. And so if you're one of those people that you're doing everything you can to climb the ladder and you're on the way up, he said, if you will think the way Jesus did, you will live the way that Jesus lived. He, did, he gave up all of his rights, all of his prerogatives, all of his privileges, lays down the crown, gets off the throne, comes to earth as a baby laid in a manger. But that begs a question. Why did Jesus, who was God, why would he come down from heaven and become one of us? Why would the Son of God leave the glory of heaven to come to earth as the Son of Man? Why would he leave the throne as a king to come to earth as a slave? Why in the world would he leave a place where he was exalted to come to a place where he would be executed? Why would he do that? And that leads to the second thing that Paul says. And that is not only must we conform to the spirit of Jesus, he says we must confirm the sacrifice of Jesus. We have to confirm the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, why did the Son of God become the Son of Man? Why did a heavenly being become a human being? Here, here, think about this. Jesus is the only human who has ever been born who didn't have to die. You gotta die. You know why you have to die? You don't have a choice. Because sin kills, and we're all sinners. We all have the fatal disease called sin, and it's killing every single one of us. The wages of sin is death. We have to die. We don't have a choice. He's the only human being that was ever born that didn't have to die, but he chose to die. The only person. As a matter of fact, he's the only person who became a human being, not so he could live. He became a human being so he could die. And so Paul says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, we all know about the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. You've heard me talk about that a million times. You've heard it ad nauseum. I get that. However, have you ever thought about the sacrifice Jesus made long before he ever made that sacrifice on a cross? I mean, let, let, me, let me ask you some questions. If you were the God of the universe, 
Would you leave your throne in heaven and come to earth so you could sleep on straw surrounded by stinky animals, feed from a mother's breast just so you could live, and even have the indignity of having your diaper changed? I mean, would you do that? If you knew, by the way, and also if you knew that the vast majority of people that you came for would reject you, would you still come? If you knew that the tongues that you created would curse you, if you knew that the mouths that you created would spit on you, if you knew that the hands you created would crucify you, would you still come? But you look at what Jesus did. On his own, nobody enforced him. Nobody paid him. And it certainly was because we deserved it. On his own, he gave up a crown for a cross. He gave up adoration for humiliation. He gave up sovereignty from suffering. He goes from sitting on a throne to laying in a manger to hanging on a tree. He goes from being a king with a crown to a baby with diapers to an accused criminal on a cross. And I don't care whether you believe that or not, or if you do, I don't care how long you believed it, you still have to ask, why would he do that? So I want you to draw up real close. You're texting, put your phone down. Taking a note, put your pen down. This is, this is the one part of the message I want you to hear me clearly. Here's why he did that. Because to him, your soul was more important than his blood. Because to him, your eternal life was more important than his earthly life. Because to him, your place in heaven was more important than his place in heaven. In other words, let me put it to you this way. He gave up his place so we could have a place. He gave up his place so that we could have a place. He gave up his earthly life so we could have eternal life. See, that was no ordinary man that died on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. He, he, yeah, he was just one of 30,000 Jews that got hung on a piece of wood, but his crucifixion was unlike any other crucifixion because he was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for, for our sins so that we could become a part of God's family. And that's why I wanna repeat something I kind of said last week. Even though Christmas revolves around the cradle, it's also all about the cross. You can't separate the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus. Without the incarnation, the crucifixion would have been meaningless and the resurrection would have never happened. Without the crucifixion, the resurrection and the incarnation would have been meaningless and there'd still be no way up. So God became a human being, listen, not just to live with us, but to die for us. So the cradle without the cross is incomplete and the cross without the cradle is ineffective. That's why, by the way, Paul begins this whole passage with, with these verses. We gotta go back a step. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. See, at the cross, here's what Jesus did. In humility, he said, I'm gonna put you before me. I'm gonna put you in first place and I'm gonna take second place. 
I'm not gonna look out for my interest. I'm gonna look out for yours. I came across the story the other day, I don't know if you've heard, I never heard this story before, about a young lady named Esther Kim. This is an amazing story. For 15 years, Esther Kim had one dream and one goal in her life. She wanted to represent the United States in the Summer Olympics. She gave 15 years of her life to making that happen. So she's been studying Taekwondo all of her life, and she says, I wanna go and represent my country in, in, in the competition of Taekwondo. So from the age of eight, listen to this now, from the age of eight, she spent every available hour in training. She didn't date, she didn't go out, she didn't do a lot of things other kids did. She gave her life to doing, becoming the best Taekwondo person that she could be, the best Taekwondo warrior that she could be because she wanted to go to the Olympics. Well, in the meantime, because of that, it was during that time she met her very best friend. Her name was Kay Poe. And they both worked so hard for so long and they both went to Colorado Springs in the year 2000 to qualify for the Summer Olympics. The only problem was to everyone's surprise, they were placed in the same division. Now, all these times they'd been going to other competitions and, and, and been going to other you know, uh, um, um, battles and so forth, they had never competed against each other. But to everyone's surprise, they were put in the same bracket. So it would be just a matter of time before they'd find themselves on the same mat and only one of them would win and only one of them would go to Australia. Now keep in mind, they've both been working about 15 years. They, 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 they're absolutely the best friends in the world. But then tragedy struck. Her best friend Kay, just before the match they were supposed to fight each other, injured her leg. She could barely walk, much less compete. So Esther knew going into this match, she could easily defeat her friend, didn't take any effort at all, and she'd be able to go to Australia and fulfill her lifelong dream. But Esther knew something. She knew that Kay was the better fighter. She knew that Kay would give the United States a better chance to do something they had never done before, and that is to win a medal. And she knew that if she beat her best friend, she knew she would fulfill her dream. She knew she would get to go to Australia. She knew all those hours she had put in would finally pay off, but she also knew that the better athlete wouldn't even get to go. So then when they went out to the mat for the match, to the shock of everyone in the arena, she bowed to her friend she conceded the match and she forfeited her place. When I asked her later, why did you do that? She said, because I wanted to put my country and I wanted to put my friend above myself. I mean, I thought to myself, how much greater a sacrifice did the Son of God make for us? The Son of God could have said, I'm not going. And God the Father would have said, I don't blame you. The Son of God could have said, they don't deserve it. And God the Father would have said, you're right. The Son of God would have said, could have said, and by the way, the vast majority of the people that I'm going for will reject me. And God the Father would have said, I know it. But he came anyway. And because of this, there's one other thing then we should gladly do if we're on the way up. 
We should conform to the spirit of Jesus. We should confirm the sacrifice of Jesus. But if those two things are true, here's what will happen. You ready? We will confess the sovereignty of Jesus. We will confess the sovereignty of Jesus. Now remember I told you Christmas is a round trip, okay? Jesus leaves his throne, comes to earth in a cradle, but now he's going back to heaven to the throne. So Paul continues. He says, therefore, let's just stop right there. What do you mean therefore? In light of the fact that Jesus did what he did. He leaves heaven, comes to earth, becomes a human just like you and me. He's rejected, he's crucified as a common criminal, He's rejected even by, the, by his own family, rejected by his friends. Even his own disciples run away like scalded dogs. He's left totally alone. Even with all of that happened, he still did it. So God said, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Let me just stop right there because a lot of people don't understand. There is a name that's above every name and people think, yeah, that's the name Jesus. No, that's not the name. 2,000 years ago, that was a very common name. There were boys in Nazareth called Jesus. There were boys in Jerusalem called Jesus. There were boys in Capernaum called Jesus. There, was boy, there were boys in Bethlehem called Jesus. It was a very, very common name. No, the name that is above every name is Lord. Jesus is his earthly name. Lord is his eternal name. Jesus is his human name. Lord is his heavenly name. And here's what Paul says. Because he is Lord, because God's given him the name which is above every name, here's how the entire world is going to respond to him. And I love this verse. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let me tell you what he, Paul just said. And boy, do we live in a world that needs to hear this because this is what people generally do in our country today. You know, it really gets to me because they think they're doing Jesus a big favor. You don't just tip your hat to Jesus. You don't just give a thumbs up to Jesus. You don't just give a fist bump to Jesus. You don't even just clap your hands for Jesus. You bow the knee to Jesus. We, we have a date with deity. And by the way, it's not a blind date. And, and, and when you keep that date, you're gonna know exactly who he is. And you won't stand him up. You won't refuse the invitation. You won't have something else better to do. Every person who has ever drawn a breath is going to meet Jesus Christ. He's inescapable. He's unavoidable. He's inevitable. And when that meeting takes place, Paul says, every knee is going to bow. So let me get real specific. The Buddhist, Dalai Lama, is going to bow. The evolutionist, Charles Darwin, is going to bow. The humanist, Bill Nye, is going to bow. The atheist, Christopher Dawkins, is going to bow. The philanthropist, Bill Gates, is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess, to, to confess four words and it's going to be said in unison. It's going to be heard all over the universe. And for many, it will be the last words they will ever say. And those words are, Jesus Christ is Lord. And at that moment, the entire round trip, all the round trip will be completed. That baby that was crying in that cradle 
That man was the, that was dying on that cross will be back where he always belonged, where he always was in eternity past, where he will always be in eternity future, the King of kings and the Lord of lords reigning on a throne. And let me tell you why that's such a big deal to me. I just finished reading the biography, not, in fact, about four months ago, five months ago. I finished reading the biography of one of my, one of my heroes, I think one of the greatest statements that ever lived, Winston Churchill. And, I, and I'd never read a full biography, so I, I read his biography. And, and, and uh, it's so fast, it's just a fascinating figure. And toward the end of his life, he finally admitted he believed in the existence of God. Now, he never acknowledged the divinity of Jesus, and this was so interesting. In his lifetime, Winston Churchill spoke over five million words in recorded speeches. He spoke over five million words. You ready for this? In five million words, over a career that spanned almost 70 years, he never one time said the word Jesus. Not once. Not once. As a matter of fact, he only said the word Christ but even that was not in a context acknowledging him as Savior and as Lord. Well, I want to assure you of something today. The last speech Winston Churchill will ever give will be his shortest. And it will be his most profound. Because he's going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. So as I was working on this message, I thought, you know, practice makes perfect, Right? So if you're physically able right now, I want all of us, I want you to get on your knees right now, everybody in this room. If you're listening at Mill Creek right now, I want you to get on your knees right now. Everybody get on their knees, okay? And we're gonna practice. We're gonna get, this is a dress rehearsal. Because let me tell you something. You're gonna do this one day. I don't care whether you believe you're gonna do it or not. I don't care if you wanna do it or not. I don't care if you like it or not. If God is God, if he doesn't lie, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. The Buddhist is gonna confess, the Jew's going to confess, the Muslim's going to confess, the Democrat's going to confess, the Republican's going to confess, the conservative's going to confess, the liberal's going to confess. The agnostic's going to confess. People on the left are going to confess. People on the right are going to confess. People in the middle are going to confess. Every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I just thought maybe we ought to kind of just get in the practice of it. Maybe we ought to get ready for it because it's going to happen. So I want you to say this with me. Say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Ready? Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it one more time. Jesus Christ is Lord. All right, you can be seated. Listen. I want to close with this. At the end of the day, your life is only about one thing. It's not about two, three, four, five, or six. Your life is only about one thing. And at the end of the day, you only have one mission in life. Not one, not two, not three, not four. You only have one mission in life. You only have to figure out one thing before you die. 
You don't figure anything else out. Once you figure this out, everything else will fall into place. But there's only one thing you've got to figure out. You ready? Who really is in charge? Who's really running the show? And, and, and I hate to burst bubbles. And this is why so many people get bent out of shape about things they shouldn't get bent out of shape about, okay? Let me tell you who's not in charge. Washington is not in charge. Wall Street is not in charge. Hollywood is not in charge. All the armies, navies, air force, marines, and all the nuclear bombs and guns and bullets, they are not in charge. And this is really going to help you out. You're not in charge. And neither am I. Jesus Christ, the Lord, is in charge. He's in charge. And that's why I say to all of us today, a way in a manger is not just a way. It is the only way. It is the only way to a relationship with God. It's the only way into it. It's the only way out of sin and sorrow and death. It is the only way up to an eternity with the God who was born like us, who died for us, and is coming again to us. So there is a way to manger. And one day, that baby that was laid in that manger will bless all the dear children in his tender care and take them to heaven to live with them there. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.